Hello and welcome to episode 20 something of uh, Horus Heretics. I'm Neil. I'm William. And uh, we'll be finishing off today A Thousand Sons or The Thousand Sons, something like that, by Graham McNeil. We're very well prepared today. Uh, Will, you've just finished the book literally minutes ago. Yeah. You ready to go? I am. I'm totally ready. Okay. It's going to be fresh in your mind. So I think where where we left it, I think last time was uh, Space Wolves and the Thousand Sons were on a planet with loads of bird people. They'd killed them all. And there was a, a good old fashioned face off between Magnus and Lehman Russ. One of Magnus's sons had turned into a many legged flesh monster. <laughs> yeah. And he, everybody had seen that. And it was, yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a scene. He had experienced flesh change, which I sort of feel like you can't, you can't see that phrase without without thinking it as a shout of flesh change flesh uh, change <laughs> that's exactly what i was thinking like and the the thing is they don't use any metaphor or any other term for it it, it comes up many times in the book and it's always flesh change it's you a know, proper noun to them you know what's really funny about that though is because like well space marines in general but the thousand suns more than most you know, would you would imagine them to have come up with some sort of poetical name for you know? I mean, yeah. for or you just some <laughs> an overly engineered name to describe this because they've got it for absolutely everything else. <laughs> but like in in the last the last paragraph or the last chapter of the book, somebody does shout flesh change, and I do sort of think of it as like Saving Private Ryan when they shout medic. Do you know what I mean? Like it's they're just letting everybody know and and um, everybody be prepared. There's flesh change happening over here. It is, yeah, it's like you know what to do. It's like one of those standard like sort of yeah like army sort of shouts like incoming or you know yeah. something like that. Just like flesh change, um, grenade. <laughs> <laughs> there was something I, I think I forgot to mention it um, in a previous a previous book. I think it, like it might have been a few ago. It's the most unacceptable line in action movies. And I think fewer action movies do it now because I think everyone knows it's unacceptable. It's when um, like somebody has their dying comrade in their hands or in their arms and says, don't you die on me. <laughs> yeah. I think that is the, the worst possible line that you can ever do. And I think it was written into one of these books. <laughs> so I should have brought that up at the time, but. The destruction of this uh, bird species thing has been complete and uh, we are still on that planet. Lehman Russ just took off. He was furious and yeah, just yeah. went, fuck this place, I'm out of here. Um, but we have a little bit of uh, sort of colour about what the remembrances are doing on this planet in the sort of the post-warfare early conversion period, I guess. And... Um, Camille is there. She's touching all the books. <laughs> That's basically what she's doing. And uh, the Thousand Sons have attached to her like a, what they call a zealoter, somebody who just like reads her mind. Uh, she remember, if you remember, she touches stuff and she has a full knowledge of the, the, the complete uh, provenance of that item. Yeah. So she's just like touching the books and going, oh, this was like, this is actually a secondary source. This was written by some dude like hundreds of years after the fact. Oh, but this is a primary source. And um, do you remember like bringing up the fact that they had like a really sort of um, freshman level uh, kind of view of of history? Yeah. yeah. Um, This seemed even before, like, I think this seemed like maybe 
school level because <laughs> they just thought like secondary sources worthless they've got nothing to add <laughs> I know. To yeah, it's, like, it's like you can only get the truth from the people that were actually there because they they bibe the truth through their eyes and then could transfer that <laughs> it, to it, words but other exactly. people make stuff up after the fact <laughs> yeah and and um eyewitnesses have perfect recall that's what people need to understand um so yeah she's just touching all the books and the the thousand sons are kind of skimming off that knowledge for their own writings and stuff so i can see why she's um like extremely useful lemuel who could read people's auras he's now being taught the body of light trick he can send his own essence out into the warp and just you know fly around and see shit yeah i thought this bit was great on the iterators and how they they just like go down amongst the populace um taking all of their myths and all of their legends and twisting them to have a uh imperial bent and to have the the you know like to keep those myths but to place the emperor at the center of them that, it yeah. just seemed like totally early christianization oh yeah yeah yeah. that's what i was thinking of oh yeah it's totally like yeah i thought that bit was good as well f- for that sense that that is often the way these things work you know just like rather than uh, people realizing it's probably easier rather than wiping away completely everything about the, the previous system of beliefs they kind of modify it incorporate themselves into it and and use like the earlier site as now a site of worship so that people still know that's the you know, that still associate the sense of worship with that place now just to a new in a new direction, I guess. Yeah, totally. And it is referred to as like a cuckoo in the nest, suckling off this older culture and in the end pushing it out of the nest and, and sort of taking it as itself. Yeah. Um, the Thousand Sons sort of wait around and transcribe the entire library, which was the cause of the face-off uh, with Lehman, Russ and Magnus. Uh, Lehman Rust wanted to destroy it Magnus wanted to keep it and we see that he has transcribed the entire library they finished that off and they set sail for Ulanor oh, which yeah. uh, we've heard mentioned I think in the very first episode of the podcast yeah. um, was the big victory party uh, <laughs> yeah, held by the Emperor at Ulanor one of, the, one of my all time favourite things in this series is, is that um, so, so we get <laughs> it's just, it's just like reminded me of the brilliant hilarity of a continent-sized stage for this yeah. this party. And then we get a little bit about how that's done, and like they, they just completely flatten and like literally flatten. They use the mountains to fill in the valleys, and they like they polish the the continent to like a terrazzo type sheen. They they grind a road in it half a mile of what a half a kilometer wide 500 kilometers long it's lined by pits of fires and the crucified corpses of the uh the greenskins there are a hundred thousand astartes nine primarchs eight million soldiers hundreds of titans the ships there are like thousands of ships in, visible in the sky uh, all the primarchs there are there just like completely living their gimmick there are custodies and sisters of silence there as well. And uh, we get a bit of a face-off between Mortarian and Magnus here. Um, I don't think these two have uh, had a bit of a, a dust-up before. 
yeah but there's like there's so much good stuff in this bit man like for i'm not sure if this is the first time his name cropped up in the book but i think it's the first time we talked about it there's a guy in a thousand suns called aura magma oh yeah <laughs> great name and also it's it's made clear that he he is known for taking jokes too far <laughs> said no one laughed but that was aura magma's way to carry the joke too far into tasteful <laughs> yeah but like that's right because it, it um there is a sort of a bit of a meeting between the thousand sons and um like Sejanus and is it Araman like he he did his um Erasmus scheme with uh, Luna Wolves so like they all get together and like hug each other and Abaddon's there in his bad temper <laughs> unfortunately Torgaddon's there as well and I was like oh you fucking prick you died you're dead uh, but thankfully he only gets a mention he doesn't um, like he doesn't come up with his bad sense of Wait, humor the, ever the, again the bad tempered uh, space marine is quite an enjoyable like stock character of these books <laughs> <laughs> he's always like the person sort of over the shoulder like th- these guys are having a reunion it's they're clearly heartily pleased to see each other and Abaddon is just like Hurry up! The emperor's gonna <laughs> say something. You stupid idiots! Talk to these people. Talk to me. <laughs> and talking of talking of um, being reunited with old characters. So yeah, you you mentioned that there's a bit of a kind of confrontation, sort of, between Mortarion and and Magnus, um, or, yeah. or a conversation, but it's sort of there's in a sense of um, rivalry to it. But um, they're captains. Uh, meet as well and I was like I had a total fist pumping moment where we got to meet Ignatius Grogor again yes <laughs> yes one of the best characters um, in a in a series full of Astartes who are pretty quick to jump to chaos he was <laughs> he was there before everybody else like does, does he have any sort of chaosy lines or anything oh he does yeah, yeah. he's, he's um, yeah, I think Magnus is um, seeing he's walking through to join his brothers and then a warrior in dusty armor, white armor edged in pale green stepped to meet him his shoulder guard bore the image of a skull in the center of a spiked halo marking his death guard his posture was bellicose and Adamant read his hostility in an instant I am Ignatius Grogor second company of captain of the death guard said the warrior <laughs> and Adamant heard the judgmental tone and the arrogant sneer that spoke of a man without humility and I was like fine <laughs> it was yeah. classic Grogor yeah exactly more to come of him I, I hope um, <laughs> he was good uh, Mortarion and Magnus in their conversation it kind of comes across Mortarion clearly doesn't like magic uh, in the same way that Lehman Russ doesn't uh, but he lets it slip that Russ has petitioned the Emperor to sanction Magnus, and that seems to be a, a oh, that's a step too far. Surely you can't do that. At that point, Araman has a premonition. He has a few premonitions in this book, all of them extremely boring. They hurry to the Emperor's uh, stage where he makes a great announcement. Uh, there's this kind of like a sixth form kind of assembly type feel to this like the the, <laughs> the deputy head and, is um, going to uh, change the rules about free periods <laughs> exactly he's going to he's going to say we get friday mornings to ourselves <laughs> study time but you know what that means so yeah we we cut away we don't actually get to hear what the announcement is from the emperor himself but it's sort of counted to us they're sort of hovering over a mechanicum planet called 
Hexium Minora, where they're like a winning supply from the Mechanicum. They're just getting pretty much everything shipped up to them from the planet and just waiting for like months on end. Um, it doesn't seem particularly Astartes-like. But Magnus says he has communed, he communed with the Emperor on Ulanor. And during that communion, he told him about the network of passages uh, through the Immaterium that he found on Agoru, like right at the start of the first half of the book. But the Emperor already knew. And in fact, that was the reason why he had left the Crusade. And I think that's the, the first time that we have that explained to us. Yeah, uh, we know the emperor left the crusade, but everyone was like heartsick about that, and they thought they'd sort of been let down by the emperor almost. But we see what exactly he has planned. Araman is telling Lemuel uh, aboard the, the their ship about oh God. You're going to have to help me out with this um, with the names of these worms. Will Psychnoian? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's a good. That's a, the best I can come up with. So Magnus joins Araman's history lesson um, about uh, Prospero and Tisca and the, the people on it, the old pre-imperial human uh, civilization and stuff. And he's talking about how he came to Prospero and how they taught him everything they knew. In truth, I had outstripped the learning of their greatest scholars within a year of my arrival. Their teachings were too dogmatic, too linear and too limiting for my mind's potential. My intellect was superior in every way to those that taught me. With my teachings, I knew they could be so much more. Lemuel heard arrogance in Magnus's voice. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lemuel, who can read people's auras, remember, <laughs> is meant to be this fucking in, in contact with the great beyond. And, and he was like, am I hearing arrogance with this I'm sentence? I'm a hint. <laughs> I wonder if anyone else can notice that. Is this down my powers, or you know, <laughs> like the his next story, like has the form of a like a parable. Um, it's it's got really like religious overtones in like the forming of, of real religions. He it's this r ridiculous story about how he leaves Tisca and um, goes to like this the an old city that had been ruined for centuries part of the old civilization and he sees this like urn that falls over and breaks from a, a statue and he goes and looks at the the pieces of the this urn that had fallen randomly so you would think and the the shattered shards of it and he sees that if he if he takes this bit and this bit and this bit and draws lines between them <laughs> That can that could form a shape, but if he forms takes this bit and this bit, and it's really awesome because like he says, but I'm going to disregard that bit, and if I imagine other rocks here, that would form a square and a triangle over here and circles over here, and he thinks this is the most amazing thing in the entire world, and he's he's got his grimoire, he's jotting down <laughs> all the shapes. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he goes to the rest of his his people and goes all right you've taught me everything now now it's my turn and he brings them all and goes see if you join this bit and this bit, that's a triangle and that that's your cult the, the cult of the pyre you look after the triangles and nothing else and they're like this is magical this guy knows everything uh, right and these circles over here 
that can be like the future. You can read the future with circles. <laughs> and, and it's just like the most ludicrous thing in the world. But like it, it totally fits with things like Mormonism and Scientology and all kinds of other crackpot religions. Yeah. It, it seemed it, like totally real to me. Yeah, no, I, I know what you mean. It was weirdly like mundane, you know, like this moment yeah. of revelation, given that like they throughout the course of this book people quite regularly see, you know, interdimensional creatures and so on travel through the warp and all sorts of business and then like so it was there was something strange but good about the scene where they were like so transfixed by you know, like you say the you know shapes they were perceiving in the shards of a broken piece of pottery <laughs> but, well, like, <laughs> or whatever it was like it's it's in the in the text it's like uh, he says um if you disregard part of it and you imagine other rocks being here <laughs> so they're not, they're not even there it's like just totally freestyling <laughs> and it's so good it's so funny so lemuel is just like transfixed by this he thinks this is the greatest story ever and um, Magnus says that he's had a message from the emperor about a council being held in Nikea, yeah. um, where he suspects that the Thousand Sons will have their magic recognized, like they will have their place solidified in the Imperium. Araman says, you have seen this, my lord. Magnus's response is, I have seen many things. <laughs> <laughs> Well, did you see that? Did you see that one thing? <laughs> I, know, I think we could, like, you know, <laughs> a lot of people could say they've seen many things. Uh, it's not <laughs> yes. the, it's not a helpful answer. <laughs> it's just like You're this right. fucking gnomic bastard. He's just been like, I asked you a simple question. Like, did you see that one thing? Like, <laughs> because it's important. It's important. And we'll find out in the next chapter that he clearly didn't see this thing. He could have said, no, I didn't see it, but like, what else possible reason could there be? But he couldn't have, he couldn't have said that. So he just went, oh, I've seen many things. You don't even know the many, the number of things that I've seen. The council, this is something that's been mentioned uh, several times elsewhere in the series. I mean, it has to be said, it doesn't seem like a great choice of venue uh, they have made for this me in, in, in my head it's um it's the planet where um anakin skywalker gets yes. his legs cut off yes it's it's that um and it's so it's nikea was a world in flux it's character in the throes of violent birth so space around the planet was a choppy soup of electro electromagnetic static we've already heard about the the the, the triumph of Ulanor and the um, flattening of a continent for a one-use uh, parade venue. Um, this is along similar lines where, like, the... So this, like, completely inhospitable planet that is difficult to navigate to, messes about with their systems, and and it's, like, all volcanic, and they go to, like, a massive volcano in this. And so the Emperor has had this, like, hollowed out... Um, <laughs> by by his by his uh, by the Mechanicum or whatever, and they've created a very like a pretty ornate um, amphitheater type amphitheater, yeah, with like lounges for the for the people involved. <laughs> yeah, they've all all the different chapters have their like their own ante rooms and their own like meeting spaces. So, like, you could have just had like the Mechanicum just being like, mate, we've just like 
knocked over a, a fucking mountain. And <laughs> we, we've created you a marble-surfaced um, continent. Couldn't you, like, just, like, b- build a room there? You know, it, it would be... It would give us a bit of a break, is what I'm saying. The emperor, being who he is, was like, no, I've, I've got a vision of a hell planet. <laughs> I can't even... Even in this, you know, highly fantastical setting, I can't even begin to imagine the engineering challenges that that presented. Um, and, yeah, we're talking about... Uh, an empire that extends across many, many planets inhabited by um, civilizations, and yeah. you, it seems like there is an absolute, um, you know, uh, smorgasbord of better choices. Um, well, the for... emperor says he is going back to Earth. Like, meet there. Y'all can come to me and the fucking emperor. (laughs) Also, it's not a convenient location. This it takes them one year to travel to. Really? Uh, Yes. It says it takes the thousand suns one year to reach this venue. So it's not like he's chosen it because it's like this. This lava rock happens to be in a really convenient location for everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like oh god, he's bringing us back to Earth. Why couldn't he have just said like the lava rock hell planet? That's right in the middle. <laughs> Prick. It's anyway, always, so, it's always an Earth the meetings he called. No, but I mean, uh, yeah, like exactly. Like that's not the case at all. Everyone, I'm sure, would have been happy to go to Earth. But so they they drop down here and they get kind of welcomed by Sanguinius and what's the other one? Fulgrim. Fulgrim. Yeah, and um, Fulgrim goes. Do you know my old mate here, Idolon? And I was like, fuck yes, <laughs> Idolon's back. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think there was like a callback to Spiderland here. So this is one of uh, Captain Thoros. I think he was maybe the blood angel that was on. That's right, he is. Yeah, and and it says both the warriors get deep bows, and Adamon had a sudden flash within his mind, like a single incongruous pick frame slipped within the passage of one moment to the next. A screaming, multi-limbed arach- arachnid beast, all fangs and blade limbs. Um, That's a useful point, Will, because I I have it in my notes. Um, Ask Will why Araman got a vision of a massive spider from Thoros. It's <laughs> a good question, and that's the best answer I can give you. That must be it. That must be it. Uh, at this meeting, Magnus is giddy, and it is like it's really well written. Magnus is like, "All right, boys, what you know? What a great time to meet up! Y'all ready for the meeting?" <laughs> totally buzzing, and they're like. Um. <laughs> Yeah, and like Fulgrim and Sanguinius are like, anyway, let's not talk about the meeting. Anyway, let's just go on up this way. Do you want to follow? And <laughs> Araman is, is, wants to scream at Magnus. He wants to go like, we're being fucked here. Like, this is not, this is not what you think it is. And uh, they're led to the amphitheater. And Magnus turns around and just kind of looks at Araman and just goes, I, I know. I, I, I know. Um, so they come in and... Uh, so basically, it's a it's a trial, on and it's the the controversy of the librarians or something like that they're calling it. So this is kind of I guess it's it's sort of getting at something that we've talked about before, which is like uh, it's kind of addressing in the story the inconsistency between them hating all this warp stuff, but also having full on wizards um, <laughs> in their armies. Um, so they're like, wait a minute, something not. We have to 
square this circle essentially and this is the, the side to to uh, all meet up here to to sort it out basically uh, uther weird make is the first person to like just be like these are total warlocks yeah um, i've seen it and mortarian stands up and agrees and sort of goes into a bit of a speech as well and and Aramon's like what a prick this guy is and and oh shit i told him or you know <laughs> yeah exactly the guy i told all our secrets to shit <laughs> <laughs> magnus is getting furious more and more furious at this bit and then like he sort of looks at Araman and uh all this knowledge like flows between them and Araman falls over <laughs> like there's a bit of inconsequential chat and and uh, magnus goes now it's time for our defense and he like his the defense is like a school debating society performance level of like any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic blah 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 to be well, this, this is this is kind of where like i thought there was pretend you know in another world in another book by another author in another series this story is about the conflict between you know, it's just kind of a theme of this book, but um, it's about, you know, the Magnus wants to extend their knowledge into these unexplored areas. The rest of them are scared of that. And that mm. is what the conflict is about. But this is the Horus Heresy from the Black Library we're talking about here. <laughs> so, so we basically have it uh, confirmed to us at this point that that may be the sort of uh, window dressing of this debate but really at the heart of it is uh, a pact with a demon um, <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah not a metaphorical demon not not the demon of knowledge no no a hell demon <laughs> here you know we're like 20 plus episodes deep into uh, doing a podcast in the series so we know what we're in for right but it's just like you think there is there is an interesting story here, and to be fair, overall this is one of the more interesting stories. Magnus mounts a really effective defense of himself, and people seem to be getting won over. And uh, the emperor stands up and says, "Close all your librarieses. Uh, never ever use psychic powers again. Anyone who breaks with this will break with me, and will forever be an enemy of the emperor." But he says this is a conclave of unity. So everyone leave as brothers. We're not uh, we're not gonna like peck out anyone in this trial of Magnus. <laughs> <laughs> we're not gonna censure anyone. Okay okay. I mean I I've put my cards on the table before. The Emperor's an idiot. Like he he is the stupidest, most powerful being in the universe ever. Which I kind of like. The more and more I'm reading, I, like he's just a powerful child. And the more and more I read about that, the more I'm sort of on board with it. Um, Magnus knows, though, that he has a vision of chaos. And uh, it's a vision of Horus. And he sees him, like, changed as the the chaosy Horus. And uh, learns of the heresy where it will happen obviously the the heresy in the future it hasn't happened yet but it's like in the near future where it's going to happen and he he's kind of like 
you know what, this trial is nothing in, compa- in comparison to this heresy. We need to get away from here. We need to, we need to do something about this, magic-wise. Yeah, and and the so the yeah, well, just before we move on to totally, like yeah, the 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 contrast between like the build up of the emperor in the way he's built up in the books of like oh they can't quite see his face and it's all this mystery and like it's a huge presence of great power and then like it's like they're all waiting for him to speak their own tenter hooks and he just comes out with this totally banal like shit (laughs) that goes on for paragraphs and you're expecting to come out with some you know really blinding one liner and it's like it's just a massive disappointment um but uh yeah then um so then so they basically they yeah they leave the the council and they basically go back to prospero and like redouble their efforts in the pursuit of magic um (laughs) yeah yeah not not once do they ever give any thought to what the emperor says as like (laughs) they're like well, let's just go home and do our magic in secret then, yeah? And, like, <laughs> that's that's cool, because, like, obviously, the Thousand Sons are all about this. Like, they're not going to they're not gonna change. They're not going to change their magic. That's all they are. Um, and the Emperor should have known that as well. Um, it's, there, but again... A, yeah. There's a funny moment with Lemuel, Lemuel or, or whatever his name is pronounced, um, where he is, like... He's because they that teaching carries on of the like remembrancers who have powers. <laughs> just a moment where he's like, "Oh, wait a minute! This magic I'm doing might be in you know, in defiance of the of the council." <laughs> like, yeah, I was like, "Really?" <laughs> so now we're back on Prospero, or or, or where are we on Prospero for the first time? I guess. And yeah, yeah, in in Tisca, and I love this bit. The remembrancers are like in a like a Viennese coffee shop like almost <laughs> like they're having intellectual gatherings with like Stefan Zweig and stuff like that and they, it's in, really in, fun in this place they um, they they know your order before you've made it because <laughs> <laughs> everyone's psychic <laughs> I never sort of brought that you know brought those two things together but yeah <laughs> Um, so, oh, that's good. Yeah, I will, I will say like the description of. I mean, this is relevant later on, but like the description of pro. So like we've seen a lot of very elegant cultures uh, in these books, normally of like alien civilizations and stuff that we get described pretty briefly, and then wiped out, basically destroyed. Um, like all this, all these buildings destroyed. But here we get like we we spend a little bit more time in this place in Prospero than um, in in sorry Tizka on Prospero than we do in most of these other places. So we get to kind of see a bit more of like it sounds like so it talks about um, for instance so so obviously as we know very well a thousand sons live in pyramids and um, <laughs> so in the Corvidae temple of that so that's Ariman's crew talks about, so they sat in one of the high terrace balconies of the Corvidae Temple, an arboretum with an angled glass roof overlooking the city far below, so the temperature was precisely modulated to mimic the sensation of being outdoors, and you're just like, yeah, that sounds nice. That sounds really nice, yeah. Well, and like the um, the non-Astartes, uh, like the normal humans, they also live in uh, a culture where there are coffee houses and like a bazaar for shopping. And like it just seems like a a culture that actually works, an imperial culture that actually works. 
Yeah, and that's so- maybe the first one that we've encountered almost. And it sounds like a really nice, like, sort of Mediterranean city or something. Um, yeah, totally. And Camille is in a relationship uh, with another woman. And that's, like, it's not, uh, that isn't brought up as, like, uh, you know, a, a, a gay relationship. It's just brought up as a relationship. And it seems like, yeah, people are having fun relationships here. Um, it's not all drudgery and working for the betterment of the Imperium. It's, um, you know, a, a functional society. Because, yeah, a lot of people are, are scholars um, in this place and, yeah, they've got libraries and museums and stuff like that. Um, yeah, and like you say, it seems seems sort of progressive and enlightened. And there's just... Um, so, so this is a really, really quite a nice um, utopian kind of sounding place apart from there's just... There's just one little problem that you've mentioned uh, already, and that's the fact that outside of this uh, city around the planet, there are a lot of uh, these beasts called Psychnoin. Yeah. And we didn't go into a lot of detail about them before, did we? But No. Um, I think now is maybe the time. Cam- Camille and, and Caliphus are out looking at, ruins and Camille's just like putting her hands all over it just learning all kinds of shit or she's struggling to find something man-made I think it says but she does oh, that's right that's right yeah well well first let's discuss what the psych nine do so they're basically in many ways your classic insect alien scary monster thing that yeah. is encountered in these books however they can psych <laughs> psychically transfer eggs into your brain uh, yeah. which will then grow and explode your head and <laughs> come out as new ones um, yeah exactly that <laughs> very very concise <laughs> and what was what i found like so that was described earlier on to was it, is it like, was it any sort of a, right, just before I make this point, was it any sort of a secret about the existence of these things? As far as I know, the people on this planet just knew about them and that was it. Like, it's just a, a danger, a threat. Yeah, I, I think I maybe thought something similar to you. I was like, why is Camille so cool and with this? Yeah, because she, uh, But I think it was like all the Astartes know, all the people of um, Tizka know. And but this was only told to Lemuel in a conversation with Araman. Yeah. He he didn't think it important enough to tell his friend. <laughs> no, no, but like that's the thing, right? So it, there is a bit where it says uh, Camille remembered something about Lemuel saying these things could inject eggs into you, but you know she couldn't really remember it. She kind of wasn't listening, you know. And and um, right, you would. I mean, when someone tells you something, I mean, I know there's a lot of strange things in this universe. Describe here, but <laughs> if someone tells you. A creature can psychically inject eggs into your fucking brain, uh, and then you your head will blow up. You no, I think I, I think the thing that. was I think the thing was that he didn't tell her how they in, right, he okay. inject. Fair but enough. the thing is, no, 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 it's not fair enough because right, Calphus and Camille are attacked, and for some reason, these worms when they attack, they have physical stingers, <laughs> which I I don't know why because. If they transfer the things psychically, why do the what are these physical stingers for? Is it a belt and braces approach, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Just making sure. <laughs> um, but the thing is, like, both of them get stabbed with stingers. 
right? So Camille is in some way stabbed by these egg-transmitting worm creature insects. But yet she... and she, So she does know that they transfer these eggs somehow. But for the first little while, she's like, oh, I fell over and hit my head. But it's cool. Like, uh, it's all fine. Um, I was sort of hurt and I've broken like loads of ribs and I'm coughing up blood. No problems, though. Um, but she's taken to the Medicaid bay where um, she sees uh, Lemuel sitting beside Callista. Callista's had one of her um, headache issues and she's now being like uh, treated by um, the Astartes who are like blocking off all kind of well, yeah. warp signals to her brain. She had a kind of a seizure when they were in that cafe and she had some other, some kind of prophecy about the space wolves again. Uh, yeah, the, the uh, destruction of Prospero. Yeah, and then they, so that she's in, she's then put in this like hospital ward with all kinds of like steampunk devices like uh, <laughs> yeah. attached to her. Um, Callista awakes and um, tells Lemuel she knows Prospero is doomed and they need to leave. Uh, Camille comes in and uh, like her partner, whose name I can't quite remember. And uh, Lemuel are sort of like, oh no, I not not two of my friends at once. This is this is absolutely terrible. At the same time as this is happening, M- Magnus has sort of set up this enormous ritual to allow him to project his uh, body of light across the entire galaxy, so that he can warn, uh, no, so that he can talk to Horus basically yeah. and try and talk him out of the heresy. That ritual is happening right now. Um, there's a guy called Fael Toron. Um, he was one of the Thousand Sons who was kind of left on the planet. He essentially has to sacrifice the Primarch. <laughs> he stabs him through the heart. And when he does that, this projects um, Magnus deep into the warp. And he goes and spends nine days traveling, traveling there. There are Oftentimes there are a lot of numbers thrown around because the, they're so terribly into numerology. I never spent the time to sort of write down these numbers to see if there's any link to them or not because numerology in real life just bores me so much that I won't even I won't even look at the a fictional numerology nonsense. So I don't know if you caught any any link between them or not. I was just like... Ah, no, no, no. It. I don't, it was just a constant, oh, there was eight of them. Oh, there was... Blah, 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 yeah. Um, I kind of, in this moment, it becomes very crucial that they have uh, lots of thralls who, I don't know what they normally do, but in this situation, they are used to have their life force sucked out to help propel <laughs> Magnus through the warp. Uh, but it's like these the, these thralls are not really mentioned elsewhere in the book, but they're, they're um, gathered together, a thousand of them, to uh, sacrifice themselves to help. Horus yeah. his warp jump um, and very few of them make it <laughs> yeah and then well as we'll see um, he, so he does that but it does work but um, he doesn't achieve what he wanted to do in the sense that Horus the, the heresy is going to go ahead anyway yeah he, he was he, he felt like he was maybe making some headway but at that point a creature called Erebus stepped in and 
uh, sort of pulled Horus back into into chaos. So they know that um, Lorgar has also fallen as well. Yeah. And the the only thing he says that uh, he he has now learned that chaos is a real thing. Like I think Araman says, you speak of chaos as it's a living thing, and Magnus says, I have learned that it is. Araman, with his, for some reason. Uh, this isn't really his power to tell be able to tell the truth he's a future man but he knows that um magnus is lying and that he he has always known that chaos yeah. is like this capital c chaos thing uh magnus says that they've got to <laughs> they've got to sacrifice the rest of the thralls so that he can uh jump into the the webway this um a web of of uh conduits through the warp so that he can warn the emperor because he's he's got proof now so that this is something that he should be telling the emperor about camille who uh realizes now that she's got uh psychic alien eggs eating her brain <laughs> um starts hallucinating and screaming and they get legionaries um and they come and they psychically boil these things alive and extract them from her brain it's gr- it's gross it's i like this bit <laughs> yeah, it was horrible but um vivid certainly um <laughs> and uh so so then like magnus gets through to the emperor and the emperor's sitting in his like cyberpunk throne with loads of cables going out of it <laughs> connecting to like warp doors and stuff like that and, and fucking Horus, sorry, not Horus. Magnus just like starts melting through this door and fucks up all his equipment, and a few people also get kind of like melted by all the powers. Oh yeah, manifesting. Um, oh yeah, a few people melt for sure. And <laughs> <laughs> um, like, what's great about this scene is that there's they don't even talk. Like in the instance their eyes meet and Magnus knows, Oh, I'm a dick. He's like, Oh fuck. <laughs> I, I, and like he gets he gets drawn back to his body. They don't even share words. In the look of an eye, the Emperor just goes, You're a dick and I'm gonna kill you. And, and he's like <laughs> You're right. I'm sorry. <laughs> you're oh my god, you're right to kill me and I won't even lift a finger. Yeah, we should we should go back and and talk about Callista's fate. Callista, who I flagged up last time, her it's probably not going to end well for her. It um, it doesn't. Um, in order to prepare for this uh, this ritual, uh, Magnus tells the Corvidae that they must learn as much of the future as possible. Um, anything goes basically you must use any means at your disposal so they go to Callista and basically torture her for all her knowledge of the future uh, she is left in a pool of rendered strings of meat and this is probably maybe one of the more like genuinely horrible scenes like it is written in such a vivid nasty nasty way well, I mean, yeah, yeah the, the gore is horrible of, like, her, like, yeah, describing her. She just sort of, well, she just kind of disintegrates and melts. Because what they do is they so they had her hooked up to all these machines that were kind of blocking warp nonsense from coming through. Um, so, and then they just basically turn all the dials down to zero. And then so it all just, like, comes in and she, she, she comes out with some sort of um, cryptic 
stuff but that's that's the best they get out of it and then she just like melts uh, or disintegrates completely and is just like gore all over the fucking bed and it's like a horrible uh scene and and, and you know her friends are obviously uh unhappy. yeah i think i i think it was <laughs> her friends are unhappy <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe that the horror of it did come from the fact that it was being done to her in front of her friends. Maybe I think like yeah. uh, they, they they were they were experiencing this, and it was their realization that the Thousand Sons are only in it for themselves. Like when it when it comes to the crunch, humans don't mean anything to them. Yeah, and and so like yeah, Lemuel who had a kind of a good relationship with Adam, and he's kind of like fuck you, um, and uh, they. Well, they know there's impending disaster coming, and so they concoct a plan to leave, um, and they kind of pull it off. We should probably spend a bit more time on uh, what transpired between the Emperor and uh, Magnus uh, during their brief locking of eyes, in that in order to get into the webway, uh, Magnus had to make a deal with this powerful demon. Uh, that like he he draw drew power from this demon Coronzon again to like break through into this webway. He goes into it, flies towards Terra, makes it to Earth, explodes all the machines, uh, meets eyes with the Emperor, and he sees everything that he's done and everything that the Emperor had planned. the The Golden Throne was to be a conduit to this webway. For mankind it was to use to like control it and to allow man to be anywhere in the galaxy at any time and it was to be magnus's place to sort of control this with his massive psychic abilities yeah. and he sees that that is now like his coming through the web by his like melted a bunch of these this technology which had been discovered hadn't been built and so that was now no longer an option. Yeah, and he it obviously pissed off the emperor as well. I should say, like, later on, towards the end of the book, it refers to like so. Basically, this is saying like, oh, the emperor was actually planning a good, you know, role for him. Yeah, and uh, if he just sort of stopped doing magic in the chapter and you know towed the line with the council of Nikea, then he would get this role of like exploring the webway and stuff like that. But then later on, like. I can't remember in what context who says this or, you know, it's sort of referenced or implied or maybe said directly by someone that, yeah, Magnus was going to be there, but it wasn't like he was going to be in control of it. It was just going to be his body getting kind of... Eaten up. Yeah, eaten up by the process. So the Emperor was actually planning a shitty thing for him, not a not a good thing for him. That was in um, the later conversation that we'll talk about with Coronzon, where they have like the, the, the demon sort of manifests and they have a, a conversation about um, what the deal that had been made and what is now owed. And Corazon sh- showed a future where there is this living being on um, the Golden Throne, but is in fact a corpse. Um, but obviously we know that the demons have shown like Horus, this false future, yeah, and he, which he thinks is real. Uh, the the demon might just be showing uh, Magnus the real future, which yeah. has the emperor 
as the corpse on the throne and uh magnus thinks that that's me you yeah, know because yeah. so it's it's possible that it's a lie it's good that it's not like spelled out for once yeah. cornzon like shows up and says that they they had made a bargain long ago in the past the bargain was that he would cornzon would um give I think I think what it's implied is that he will supply these the tutelaries, um, and these are like basically warp demons who will control the flesh change. Uh, Magnus wasn't able to do it for himself, so the bargain was uh, Magnus's future soul for the souls of all his uh, Astartes, and um, Cornzon made that happen. He he allowed them to control the flesh change, and he's like. Now the price has come due. Um, you offered your soul to save theirs, so give me it. <laughs> Basically, essentially. Magnus is upset by this. Ulfazar comes in, the telepath, and Magnus is not in a state to protect this knowledge. And Ulfazar like, sees this betrayal and sort of goes away. He, he sees that the Emperor has sent... Uh, we haven't mentioned this before, but the Emperor has sent the um, Lehman Russ, the Space yeah. Wolves, to uh, destroy Prospero for uh, Magnus's meddling with the Webway and for his constant use of magic and for his uh, bargaining with demons. Uthasar sees all of this. Uh, he sees that Magnus has dealt with demons. He uh, has endangered their souls and that the planet is now under threat and he like turns away and goes well we must at least warn the planet magnus kills him because he has decided not only have i dealt with a demon not only have i destroyed uh the emperor's work not only has he damned his son's souls but he he sees the necessity of his destruction by the emperor yeah. Uh, because he sees now that the warp is evil and that he was like just so obnoxiously vain in thinking that he could control it and stuff. And he's just like, yeah, we have to be destroyed. But not only me, the entirety of this planet. And I think th this is where I sort of came to a really sort of good understanding, I think, of Magnus and just that he is like he's 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 the first person that I think has actually conducted a betrayal. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like um, Horus thinks uh, all of the rival um, heretic Primarchs think that the Emperor has um, betrayed them in some way. And it's normally in a really vain way that, oh, he, he didn't tell me about his future plans or like something really pathetic. Yeah. Magnus has genuinely betrayed his sons and is betraying them again because he's saying like, I need to be punished and you need to join me in my punishment. Yeah, because he's... I won't even defend him. Because he's kind of like, he's kind of like, well, if we fight back against the Space Wolves, we'll just prove their point. So we just need yeah. to sit here and be killed. Um, and so he he um, cloisters himself away in his uh, large pyramid house. And um, the... So the Space Wolves, they arrive. Start bombarding the place. And they start completely like what it says it's like one of the largest bombardments ever to have taken place um and oh, oh but remember that magnus in that 
he um he sort of sends the planetary defenses and stuff out of the way so oh, yeah. parts the, the red sea for them but he forgets to um remove the shield around his own city <laughs> yeah, so yeah. the entire planet is killed in the bombardment he mm, he's totally fine all the Thousand Sun captains who we've met, all those names like Aura Magma and Phosis Dakar and Araman, they make this, like, they break with their Primarch, which is cool, because that's the first yeah. time his betrayal has been shown to them. And they're like, that was his betrayal, you know. Uh, he did that. We, we've we done nothing. And I, I was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's good. That finally some space marines are like making a decision for themselves Plus, and they're like we are we will fight these bastards and Colophis is like I've been waiting for an excuse to get inside that titan anyway so <laughs> great yeah. Um, yeah so yeah a massive battle kicks off and this was one of the better in my opinion one of the best battles we've had uh, yeah so far because it also because it felt like like yeah you could you had that moment where you're like yeah Thousand Sons, you know, fucking like just like there was something about them standing up for themselves there that you were like, that's pretty cool. To- totally, it was totally sympathetic to to their problem. At this point, they weren't horrible flesh monsters, so I was like, <laughs> you know, they've got something going for them. Um, <laughs> next chapter, though, mm, you know, they do become horrible flesh monsters, and that's a shame. Yeah, <laughs> all roads lead to flesh change. Um, <laughs> but, uh, so it was a massive battle. Um, which has all kinds of stuff going on. Space wolves are ferociously tearing into the city. Lehman Russ is leading the charge. He's pretty much unstoppable. Um, but this, the Thousand Suns do pretty well at first, um, and all of them are sort of start like they feel their 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 bodies are kind of itching for the flesh change. Um, they're like you know their cells are rebelling and stuff like that, um, and they're kind of trying to keep that under control. Phosis Dakar goes through the flesh change and uh, he sort of realises like he he at, at first he doesn't realise like he's just filled with this magic and he's like this is amazing until he sort of looks down at his body and realises that he is a monster and yeah. um, he allows himself to be killed because he you know he doesn't want to this is like a realisation that everything that the um, Thousand Sons had been accused of was actually true there was this, such a great line about his change. It was um, vile appendages erupting from splitting armor plates, squamous limbs and rugose growths pushing like jelly from gorgets and through bullet wounds with grotesquely wet signs. That's awful. That's, That's br- awful, but brilliant. Some real squamous. Thesaurus <laughs> <laughs> action in that. <laughs> I had to look up what squamous was. Yeah, what's um, what's rugos? Was that the other word? Uh, rugos, I think, is like a, a moving, uh, rippling kind of coruscations, like that kind of thing. Squamous is um, scaled. Do you think like um, Horus, sorry, like Black Library writers probably get issued with like a thesaurus, <laughs> yeah. a medical textbook. Um, <laughs> Um, uh, medieval history 1a <laughs> <laughs> Lehman Russ is a Primarch and he sort of uh, starts winning the day uh, because uh, Magnus is just allowing his sons to uh, do the fighting he doesn't want them to be defended yeah. they all fall back to uh, this sort of final line of defence Lehman Russ is just laying about himself 
sorry, just before we get onto this like sort of final part of the battle, I just wanted to say that like um, something we talked about earlier that like there's been a lot of instances of um, amazing sort of peaceful cities with getting destroyed really quickly but usually it's like the city is only described in a few paragraphs then it's destroyed whereas this like like you said we've got to spend a bit of time in on mm-hmm. prospero in tizka like in like cafes and you know beautiful boulevards and stuff like that and and you know just a bit more sense of like the people living out quite happy lives there and weren't used to like crises and stuff like that and so i i felt I felt more of an impact of like all the descriptions of this being completely destroyed yeah. than, than I yeah. usually do because of that. Um, but yeah, so you like it was a bit like you're like, oh, this this is like nah, not obviously not just stuff being destroyed, obviously loads of people being killed as well. But I just mean the whole destruction, a total sense of loss. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Like there was that. Um, I, I, I totally agree. So it kind of looks like it's coming to the end. There's um, there's not that many thousand sons left. The only ones that are left are um, the ones like the the sort of real veterans who are able to control the flesh change. At that point, like Magnus comes down, shows up, uh, blazing fury. At this point, maybe what could be described as the worst point, he decides to get involved. <laughs> You're like, if you were, oh my God, like I resented him just allowing his sons to die. You this know, time, he's allowed most of them to die. Do you know? And, oh, yeah, man. If he, especially if he'd chosen to be involved from the start. But even without that, I feel like the Thousand Sons really should win any fight like this. Because they can all just make people explode from the. Well, no, they can all just do like magic. I know it kind of yeah. wears them out and stuff like that. I suppose it does bring on the flesh change. So, uh, so there is that. So it is kind <laughs> of accounted for in that way. And I just remember, there's that guy, Fair Toron or something, the guy who. Like he was a bit behind oh, on all yeah. the magics because um, he he'd been left uh, on the planet. He hadn't gone yeah. on their like travails and learned with them and stuff. But he was a bit skeptical. But then like there, so like when the bit he was defending, he was like, right, no, just just use weapons. You know, keep our powers for a last resort. And eventually, they are about to get overrun. So he's like, yeah, this is the last resort. So start throwing out some magic. And then he, he he has this flash change moment where so he'd been a bit skeptical of this, and then suddenly he starts like flying, and he's yeah. like, "This is fucking great." <laughs> until <laughs> until he goes a little bit too far and supernovas. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you know, it didn't last long for him. Like that that period of of happiness. Yeah. Sort of didn't go, it didn't go well for that fella. Anyway, Magnus comes down uh, again. Like you, we could have said, he could have been out in the forefront, like when the space wolves just came down. But like, there's a certain like in terms of the sort of sympathy that you have for the Thousand Sons in this situation. There's a certain ability to their last stand defense of the pyramid here because, like, that's where a lot of the the people that have survived have retreated to the pyramid. So mm-hmm. they do sort of emphasize that, like, you know, if, if they can at least sort of protect them, that will be something. Absolutely. And and um, he tells tells the, the rest of the um, uh, Thousand Sons, go back to the pyramid, stay there. Uh, he gives uh, Araman the Book of Magnus, the, his grimoire, which contains all his knowledge. But there's a good fight uh, between uh, Magnus and Lehman Russ. Um it does. It is kind of like Rocky, 
and then turns full wrestling when he gives him a like a backbreaker. I was going to say, there was one bit where I was like, is that a suplex he's just done there? Um, and, uh, <laughs> so there's this massive fight and they like go, they sort of become larger and there's a lot of like, I mean, in this part of the book, a lot of it was fun and did the job. A lot of it was like, didn't make much sense at all. Um, there's the substance of pure thought makes a lot of appearances in this book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's always a disappointment. Um, and uh, there's a, one of your classics that you've picked up on is the 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 prevalence of eyes on mm-hmm. monsters. There's there's one one dude over undergoes the flesh change. I think this is right at the end. It says, um, it says, from every surface in the warrior's face, such that there was no longer a mouth, nose, or any other sense organ other than eyes. <laughs> so that's like, that's a classic. Um, yeah, that's Black Library 101. Um, but so yeah, they they have the fight, and basically, Weeman Ross wins, and Magnus is gives him a backbreaker, a shoot yeah. backbreaker. He's killed, um, or his, his corporeal form is killed anyway. Magnus says that in some way that it's, I think it's his last gift. I'm not sure to who, whether to Lehman Russ or to the rest of his thousand sons, but somehow his physical body like this incorporates, it like flies apart to nothing. And he transports himself and all the thousands, remaining thousand sons to like this shattered planet. There is like a kind of weird postscript um, in yeah. the book where it describes a bit of time like they the, clearly time has passed on this planet and um a bunch of the thousand suns like there there i think there are only a couple of hundred left something like that um and there are like maybe 70 have just like accepted the flesh change like they willingly accepted it and like it so clearly they killed all the ones that flesh changed here so don't they like they, oh that's right that's right they yeah. had to put down a lot so there's even fewer of them that that um were originally there a winged magnus magnus is clearly just gone full demon uh comes down and the last sort of few lines are like magnus i think i think they are still upset with magnus like they they haven't had a rapprochement or anything or forgiven him magnus is just doing his own thing i think and um Araman says that um, Magnus's problem and lots of other people's problem before them was that they were just too vain and um, they just believed in their own abilities and um, their sort of overreach was the source of their their fall essentially. So he has um, surrounded himself by naysayers and stuff so, so that he doesn't become that way. But he has set his mind on creating a spell that will um, that he can cast. It will undo everything that's been done and show how loyal they were, how, how loyal they are, and how loyal they can be again. Um, yeah. And he can do all that himself. And he's going to call it uh, the rubric, which is yeah. the worst name you could have called something. <laughs> like, and they're also, they're rubric, also calling rub- this planet the Sorcerer's Planet. The Sorcerer's Planet, great. Well done, fellas. Um, the rubric... He, he may as well have just called it like the paradigm or something, you know, like it just means it, it means so much and is so broad that it means nothing. Do you know what I mean? Like it, I thinking, it's so that, indistinct. That would be a great name for a wrestler's finisher, the paradigm, you know. 
<laughs> some really brutal submission <laughs> i thought this was quite a good ending where it was like you know we sort of got to the heart of this book which was like that after all that Ariman was still like oh we'll prove our loyalty to the emperor i thought that was quite good you know so it wasn't like they hadn't they still hadn't become the stage of like fully like yeah we're just we're gonna be yeah. demons they weren't there weren't full like grogors it was like true um, we 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 still want to put which I thought was 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 cool um or, or an but I, no I I I think that's that's right and it I'm sort of interested in the future for them because they all saw Magnus's betrayal they blamed him they didn't blame the emperor for trying to destroy them they actually sort of by the end they agreed almost with their destruction and yet they still exist and Magnus is still with them where does that go from there it's really yeah I'm super interested to know where that goes. Yeah, so uh, so that's the end of the book, and I had an afterword as well as I had a few more pictures in it, which I was going to send you. Graham McNeil did an afterword, and he, he's basically saying this is this is his favorite of the Horus Heresy books he'd written, so up till twenty fourteen anyway. And um, so he says it's because he kind of got to do everything he wanted to do here. Did he say that? Like, did he make any points about what he was trying to achieve? Like, was he trying to like? slightly humanize the thousand sons in a way that no legion had been done before or anything like that or well yeah kind of he does talk about um that you know it's a tragedy the story's a tragedy which is you know which, yeah. which i agree with and um and so it says they're defined by um thirst for knowledge so he says yeah th that thirst for knowledge is what helped me define the thousand sons because i didn't want them to be indistinguishable from any other legion which kind of implies that a lot of the other religions are indistinguishable <laughs> <laughs> right yeah um, but it says magnus and his legion had to talk differently behave differently and most importantly by the end they had to fight differently um so the battle of prosper when it came couldn't just be two lots of space marines hitting each other with chainsaws. it had to be had to have a flavor that was unique to it um so and then it's saying so he's worked closely with dan amdit on this because there's uh so he, there's another book coming up it's the battle of prospero uh or, or sorry, something this burning of Prosper or something like that, which is basically this story again, but from the Space Wolves' perspective, right? Sweet. Uh, and so he says, so they kind of work together on this. So the and the, interestingly, they originally Dan Abnett was going to be doing the one about the Thousand Sons, and he was going to be doing the one about the Space Wolves. But as they kind of worked together and developed it, they were like, do you want to swap? So, mm. um, so. So they and and he says they've deliberately engineered several points of contention between the two accounts, um, because in saying that that's what these books are: two accounts of one battle, and no two accounts of war agree. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he says he in writing the Thousand Sons, he grew to love them and relished the chance to reverse people's expectations of what they should be. Uh, well, we haven't really said what we think of the book, and I, I, that's the best one yet for me. Um, really? By, yep. Um, I mean, oh, not you were going to say by a long way. Well, I'm not going to say by a long way, but I'll explain what I mean. So it's, it's, uh, it's got so much good stuff in it. Like it's just like so. It's got this whole these guys that do magic the whole time, um, and they've got a really contrasting sort of nemesis in the space wolves. They go to Ulinor, which is always a laugh. They go to the <laughs> um, meeting inside the volcano, and there's various like. Uh, doesn't then, stint on the crowd pleasers there's Eidolon he's a dick for a line yeah, yeah it brings back a lot of the the, the, the characters we've seen so far it does like for because we obviously like the Dark Angels story but this this feels much more like a momentous moment in the 
in the the overarching narrative you know yeah. like um and uh, and they connect it up with like the sort of the the central narrative if you like of horus it's quite clearly connected to that this is obviously this thing this incident has been important elsewhere in the series but um so obviously it was good to get to see that close up we get um magnus melting his way into the emperor's uh <laughs> research cave thing and yeah. um and then a big well-written battle at the end with loads of stuff going on um magic and flesh change and primarchs fighting pyramid city being destroyed and um and then they warp to some sort of interdimensional sorcerer's planet at the end of it and i was just like and sort of gives that sense of like you know really an epic tale where there are huge events taking place that are connected but separate you know this isn't part of the horus story really but it's um it's it's a huge deal and it's kind of like it's almost like a a secondary rift you know like a, a, yeah. a separate issue that does obviously overlap in terms of and for the first time like there, there's that book is it the second book it's called galaxy in flames we've never really felt that it's it has felt like a small issue up to now um but this this feels like it, it is a galaxy-wide thing now all of a sudden um yeah. which 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 is good and hopefully can be built upon um i, I i'm still going to put the dark angels books ahead i think um just because i really liked their i i, I really like the smallness of the story um which i guess can i i shouldn't it feels wrong to say that because the whole point of this is that it's an epic tale a massive space opera um so maybe that's slightly unfair and uh, i do i did really like this i think i would put it as my favorite behind those yeah um fi- finally i i felt like i could um relate and sympathize with the bad guys or the bad guys were not like com- they were not all bad they were not even real like bad at all yeah um they were just put in a circumstance beyond their control it was it's it, like it is magnus's fault um and yeah that's I, I i think that came across really well and um like it, it works much better as a story of tragedy than like any of the rest of it i think so far you know in terms of yeah yeah i mean like i never I don't feel tragedy for Horus. I don't feel it for Magnus. I feel it for the Thousand Sons because uh, their, you know, quest for knowledge, the quest for spreading of knowledge, is a noble one, and the the overextension of Magnus was never their fault. So yeah, yeah it's a sad tale. Anyway, I think that will that will do us. Um, thanks everybody for listening. We really appreciate it. Um, you can contact us at horseheretics at gmail.com until then we'll be it'll be another two weeks till the next episode um i've been neil i've been and still am william <laughs> thanks will uh see you guys soon see you